All right, so we're in a series on the Bible, and that's 10 weeks talking about the Bible and how you can experience God's Word truly being active and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword in your life. So we're going to be doing that, uh, and this is week two of that. So here's what happens. Uh, for a lot of people, they get a Bible, and they wonder, where do I start? And you open it up, and you discover there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And most people go, what? I don't, what, what does that mean? Then a lot of people feel that the New Testament cancels the Old Testament, <laughs> especially in this cancel culture world. Like, oh, we get a new one, so throw out the old. And, uh, you know, but that's not really what's supposed to happen. And so we want to get into that right now. We want to begin to ask that question, does the New Testament cancel the Old Testament? And how do I handle the Bible in general? Uh, how do I understand the, how the, what the Bible means to me? So here's what I want you to know. There is a pastor, uh, he was somewhat of a younger, very, very influential pastor that said, yes, the New Testament cancels the Old. To the point, he began to teach that no one's to read the Old Testament. No one's to study the Old Testament. He even began to talk about that the Old Testament would drive people from God because the God of the Old Testament was vengeful and vindictive. And, and he said the God of the New Testament is loving and caring. Therefore, which Bible should you read? Well, he said there's only one real Bible, and he said it would be the New Testament. And this guy was very influential. People hung him on almost his every word. Crowds flocked to hear him, and people could not get enough of his writing. His writings were so sought after, and people were devouring them. But some other pastors began to be very concerned that what he was teaching was wrong. And so they began to stand against him and began to show people that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not how Jesus acted towards the Old Testament. Because when you see the teachings of Jesus, he quoted the Old Testament constantly. So does the New Testament cancel the Old Testament? Then uh, when, what these other pastors were saying, look what Paul did. Paul exclusively quoted from the Old Testament uh, to make people understand God's word, God's ways, and God's will. So now they began to say what this guy has saying could not be true, and he's robbing you from something vital, from something important, from something amazing. Who was this young pastor? His name was Marcion, and he lived in 144 AD. And here's what's so wild. Even now, some of his teachings come up. They keep resurfacing over the centuries and over the years. And there's been a new wave of, of modern Marcionism uh, that's out there that I want to tell you what I don't want to have happen to you. It will keep you from the promises of the Bible and the promises of the Old Testament that are for you. It will keep you from the principles of the Bible and the principles of the Old Testament that apply to your life. All of them do. And it will keep you from the prophecies. <clears throat> And uh, <laughs> anybody who knows me, the pro come on, don't touch prophecy. Yeah. By the way, not all the prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. That Old Testament and the New 
both speak very much to the times we live in, very specifically to what is happening right now, by the way, right now, and what's about to come. And there's some things that we're on. I can't get into it. We're going to do a prophecy message pretty soon. A couple things just happened this week on the news that the Bible's pointing to. So what I want you to know is we do not want to take away from the Bible. The entire Bible is the Word of God, active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's for you. But I also want to remind you of something else. How do you become a person of real faith, deep faith, and great faith? You know what the answer is? The Bible. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. So we need to understand that. So let me start here. The Bible, the Bible, the entire Bible has been provided by God and protected by God. So don't miss that. If some people ask, where did, God's, where did the Bible come from? It came from God. It actually was provided to us by God. It was God's gift to us. And when God gave us the Bible, do you know what else he did? He protected it so that it cannot be changed. I all the time, and I don't actually enjoy it, someone will come up and say things like, did you know that the Bible was written by men? And I'll say, well, not really. And they're always shocked. Like, whoa, what? No, it had to be. Well, that's not actually accurate and true to how the Bible came about. This week and next week, I'll show you that, and the week after. Uh, so the next, it, it goes on and on. Um, then I actually have had people, I was in a debate once at a university campus, and they said, well, the Bible's been changed. And so I began to give all the evidence how we know the Bible's not been changed, which I will be getting into pretty soon in a couple of weeks. And I challenged them to show me a place it had been, and they couldn't. That's a myth. It's a myth. It's not true. Uh, it's a conspiracy theory, uh, and Christians, I guess, aren't the only one with those. But um, here's the thing I want you to know. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 uh, for, through 21. So 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, it says, So we have the prophetic word made, look at those words, more sure. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. But know this and notice these next words, first of all. So what do you and I need to know first of all? What is so important for us to know first of all? It says that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So what is he saying? Peter is telling you, Peter is telling me that nobody sat down and go, oh, I'll write this. No, it says God put it in their heart, put it in their minds, and began to move them by the power of the Holy Spirit to write what they would write. It did not come by an act of human will. It came by the very act of God. Uh, so don't miss that. So it's not a writing of man. Men were used to write it as God moved them to write it. Uh, and so they were moved to write what they wrote. They were moved to write what they wrote. Uh, by the way, I don't know why I just thought of this. Tracy is my assistant, and sometimes I have you write things, right? But you know what? As brilliant as she is, she doesn't get to write what she wants to write, <laughs> and I have to approve it. And, and, and so he, here's the thing. God, God did not let them write what they wanted to write. He had them write what he willed they would write, 
And he did that by the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. David, uh, who was King David, the guy who slew Goliath, uh, the guy who was the greatest probably uh, king that ever lived in the nation of Israel, who would be uh, the one to establish in a very firm way the line of Christ. And God would call him a man after his own heart. Which I don't know about you, that's powerful. If God says, you know what, you're someone after my own heart. God used David to write uh, almost the entire book of Psalms and, uh, and to design the first temple. And here's what David said about how that came about in 1 Chronicles 28, 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing. Now, don't miss the next words. By his hand upon me, all the details of this pattern. So David's experience was he would sit down and, and be in the presence of God and God would put his hand on him and guide him in the writing of it. God would give him what was written with his hand upon him, moving him to write what God wanted him to write. And by the way, uh, when it comes to the first temple, to design what Solomon, his son, later would build by design. Uh, Moses experienced the same thing. Uh, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. So what I don't want you to miss is this, is that the Bible was written by God as God's hand was on people and moved them by the Holy Spirit to have them write what he wanted them to write. Now, let me tell you this. God is strong enough, wise enough, powerful enough, and, and actually he knows everything before it happens. They couldn't write something and God goes, oh, well, too bad. Got to keep that one in there. You know, he, you know he, it didn't work that way. God actually made sure, according to Jesus, that he used this term, every jot and tittle. Now, what does that mean? That would be every apostrophe and comma uh, uh, or semicolon. And I love semicolons, but semicolon. Uh, I, people all the time say, you use too many of them. I love them. Anyway, everyone was there from God. Everyone was there from God. And so the Bible is the very word of God, God's message given to you and given to me. And uh, in the Bible, salvation comes because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Bible is provided by God. We're going to get more into that in the next two weeks, but don't miss that. The second is the Bible is protected by God. Remember, Jesus said that the word of God would last forever. Uh, Matthew 24, 35. Jesus wants to give you a promise you should never let go of. One you should cling to. One you should keep in your heart and keep in your mind. And Jesus said this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. In other words, the heavens, the universe will pass away one day. All that we know in creation will pass away. But you know what will be left? protected and unchanged, the very word of God that you and I have today. It's eternal and it's protected by God. And so Jesus said, my very, very words are going to be protected. It's interesting. It wasn't long after Jesus died, the different persecutions broke out where they were trying to kill Christians and destroy the church. Uh, it did not take them very long to understand that the, probably the best way to do away with the church was to do away with the words that gave them faith, the Bible. And so different emperors would make it illegal to have any part of what we call a manuscript, any scroll, any copy of either the Old or the New Testament, but especially the New, by the way. And what happened is 303, and 303, 
an emperor by the name of Diocletian proclaimed that every copy of the scriptures is to be destroyed. And if anyone was caught keeping or hiding them, they were to be killed. By the way, tortured to death. Thousands of Christians died protecting God's word. They loved God's word so much they wouldn't give it up. And so in 303, or actually 305, two years later, Diocletian erected a huge column that exists to this day. And it says this, it says, extinct is the name of the Christians because he believed he had destroyed every copy of the Bible. In 305, that was proclaimed. 21 years later, Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, becomes a Christian and, and actually declares the a Roman Empire a Christian empire. And all the Bibles started surfacing. Uh, because they weren't all destroyed. They stood the test of time. Now, by the way, they were scattered. Because of that, they were scattered and hidden. And do you know what we know today to be a fact, not a theory, a fact, that when they began to surface all those manuscripts scattered and hidden, they all agree completely. Not one word changed. Not one word taken out. Nothing added in. And so we know that the Bible has been protected by God and not changed. By the way, that's not the only evidence for that. I'll give you more later. Uh, one of which, uh, I'm, I shouldn't get off on that. It surfaced just last week. But okay, I'm, I'm old. I can do that. All right. So all the Bible is provided by God and protected by God. And all the Bible is important to you. All the Bible. The Old and the New Testament is important to you. Uh, the Law and the Prophets is important to you. The Words of the Apostles is important to you. The poetry is. If you want to have a great marriage, the poetry. You got to have that. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture. Man, if you underline in your Bibles, then I do. Underline all Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now, this applies to the entire Bible, but Evan, you teach in our high school, and you know this. That specifically was talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament was just now being written and compiled. So when God moved Paul to write those words to Timothy, a, a young pastor, he said, Timothy, all scripture. And at that moment, he meant the, the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, which doesn't get canceled out by the New Testament, uh, applies to your life in amazing ways. Uh, he was talking about the fact that it gives you leading. It gives you instruction. He was telling him, you know what? That Bible is true. Uh, the word inspired literally meant it's God breathed. So we've heard already that God put his hand on people to move them. God used the Holy Spirit to motivate them and empower them. And then God breathed words of life through them onto the pages that you and I have today. And it's profitable for you. It's profitable for teaching. Saying, you know, you need to know the Bible and take it to heart. It's profitable for reproof, which means it makes you better. It actually makes you a better person. Tim, you were talking about that. Yeah. That you feel like the Bible has made you a better man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, um, I'm not the most empathetic or the most compassionate of people, at least not instinctively. Um, but when I look at who Jesus is and I look at the word and I see when he says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. I'm encouraged and inspired that I need to live an empathetic, empathetic and compassionate life for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we've known each other a long time. I've known Tim since he was young, like really, really young. Yeah, like third grade? Uh, like third grade, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I didn't age since then. I was going to no, say um, yeah. But no, you know what's so cool is it, you have become more empathetic. And Kathy, your wife would say that, right? I hope so. Yeah, okay, she would, she told me. Um, so, but, but it's really true. And, and Maureen, you felt like it's molded your character. Yeah, for sure. It definitely has. I feel like it has taught me how to be more kind and to cultivate kindness, you know, to think whatever's lovely, whatever's right, whatever's true, you know, mm. to just really um, reflect that. Yeah, uh, I uh, think that Tracy would tell and Brianna would say that a lot of our, our, our women who are on our church uh, look to you as someone they want to emulate because of the godly character they see in you. Oh. And I, again, have known you since you were in high school and watched you grow into the woman you are today. Mm -hmm. And very, very godly, uh, which to me is one of the greatest compliments you could ever get. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I would say thank you. It's it's totally the Lord that he continues to work in me. But Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, well, it's so true. And and so it does reprove us. It makes us better. And then it is for training in righteousness so we know right from wrong. Um, That to me is huge. Uh, And it's a way to be equipped to live out God's purpose for our life. So here's what I want you to know. The Old Testament does not get canceled out by the New Testament. Mm -hmm. See, there are people who try to say that, but that's not even what the Bible says about it. Uh, Paul in Romans 15, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 15, uh, was talking about the Old Testament when he wrote these words. And he's beginning to show where faith comes from, dynamic uh, life-giving faith comes from. And he, one of the things he says is this in 15 verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our, did you see what it is? Instruction. For our instruction that so through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, by the way, that applies to all the Bible, but now, actually, that isn't true. I said that wrong. That verse only applies to the Old Testament. Because it says whatever was written in earlier times. So now he's specifically and, and actually only talking about the Old Testament at that point. So while the New Testament is vital, we don't want to take that away. Paul's saying here, I want you to know that the Old Testament is a place where you can get instruction. Where you can get instruction for how to live. Uh, Peter talked about that too. And I want, don't want you to miss this incredible promise that's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. And Peter said this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life. Everything pertaining to life. He said that, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Did you catch what that said? That Peter said when we have that true knowledge of him, which we get in the Bible, then we know everything we need to know pertaining to life and how to live our lives. Uh, It's been said, and it would not be inaccurate, the Bible's God's owner's manual that he gave you when you were born. It actually tells you how to care for yourself, how to care for others, how to live life in an incredible way, how to have maximum effectiveness in how you live. And I want to tell you, it really is true that everything you need to know in life is found in the Bible. And we need to know that. Uh, Brianna, as a mom, uh, uh, talk about how the Bible has given you instructions on how to raise your children. Oh my gosh. 
try to have a child. You know, that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest one, making sure that, uh, I mean, it's not by my own might. They're, you know, they belong to him. And so it's a very daunting task. So mo most of the parenting encouragement that I get is, you know, be strong and courageous in all of those, um, that he will provide everything that we need even down to that. So teaching our kids that. Mm -hmm. um, we have life verses, me and my siblings have life verses growing up. So teaching my children that, you know, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens mm -hmm. you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yeah. And sending them out and into the world to be those little lights. And we do our, our devotionals in the morning on the way to school. And I just remind my my little almost nine-year-old and five-year-old, let Jesus shine through you. And you need to be loving to people at school. And you're, you're imitators of Christ. And just, it's all the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you've had that struggle as a mom, wondering what do I do, what do I do, the Bible's come through with great answers. Yeah. 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 Not just good, but great, right? Great yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I got to say, uh, and I'll be talking about this a lot, is that when I was studying counseling and studying what we know neurologically about people and, and how to help them have great mental health or, or how to have them overcome mental health challenges, the Bible really does have answers that work. Mm -hmm. And uh, Corinne, you experienced that. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. Over um, just the past couple of years, I, I moved to Ireland by myself for about half a year, which was amazing. But just a lot of a lot of change and then in coming back and just having friends who were going through really dark times in their lives and I just found myself spiraling into playing out scenarios in my head just without end and I had not since I mean I, I grew up at Crossroads School so I memorized Bible verses because we had our Bible verse test every week but um when I graduated I I stopped because I had this mentality of like the Bible is so accessible. Like not only do we all have our Bibles, but we can so quickly look up scripture to apply to just about anything that is going on. We can be like, okay, like I need truth about this, like, and look it up. And so the, 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 the motivation or the need to memorize scripture was not um, really at the forefront of my mind until that season. And I realized that that was the only way to get things to stop to get my mind to stop because otherwise I was literally just like sitting there trying to like get myself to stop worrying and stop playing out scenarios. And I would just be like, okay, Corinne, stop. And like, sometimes they would, but not really. And so memorizing scripture, I mean, Psalm 119 talks about um, hiding God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. And, but like having his word in your heart at yeah. the ready, it is a weapon yeah. against yeah, yeah. worry. And not only is it, giving us something literally to replace our thoughts with, but it's also replacing those thoughts with the foundational truth and power of Christ. And so, yeah. Which, by the way, I love how you put term that it's replacing. Uh, because uh, it talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 about taking every thought captive. Which, by the way, in counseling and psychology, when we have someone who's dealing with anxiety, uh, you, it's not as easy as say, don't worry. If it was that easy, we all stop worrying. Uh, by the way, Evan's wife's a counselor and really good, and, and she knows that's true too. And, and here's the thing is you got to replace it. And uh, what you actually called out is you were suffering from what we call ruminating thoughts or rumination, which just sounds horrible. Like you got rumination. But, uh, uh, but, but, but it works. Here's what I want to tell you. It works. It works. And the Bible does teach us how to fight anxiety, manage our lives through the battle because it's not a one-time thing, but also how to reach a place of overcoming it. 
And so sometimes we deal with very difficult issues like that, yeah. and the Bible becomes our answer. Yeah. That's right. uh, you know, I brought up you and Janae, but yeah. how has that been that way for you, Evan? Yeah, you know, yesterday, two years ago yesterday, my mother-in-law passed away mm -hmm. suddenly, and then um, I, this past year, my mother passed away. So me and my wife really found a lot of comfort in Scripture um, for that grieving time. It's just been hard with a lot of questions. You know, one of the verses that I think I thought about a lot and went to a lot in that time isn't one that I usually think of about grief, but it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It just says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And for me, that was just, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I'm feeling this grief and going through this, why we're going through this together. Um, why both of our mothers passed away, um, but I'm going to trust God. Right. And every morning, that was my prayer. Yeah. And I made it personal. I trust you, Lord, with all my heart. Yeah. I don't lean on my own understanding. Mm -hmm. So every day for the past two years, I've said that, mm -hmm. every morning. Yeah. And so that's really helped us. The Word, obviously, has helped right. both of us walk through this time right. and yeah. given us comfort. Yeah, it's given you comfort and given you instruction. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, see, I, that's what I love. It was so real for you and real for your Janae and, yeah. and how you guys were able, the word of God became so powerful. So it does actually teach us and guide us in dealing with the grief process yeah. um, because it's so real, it's so practical, uh, and it's so profitable uh, is what it says. Um, and again, it gets very, very practical, very practical. The Bible talks about how to handle your finances. And Tracy, you actually came to us already practicing the biblical principles of finance. And, and people, how, how old are you? <clears throat> 29. Okay. She's usually not. Okay. But okay. You're 29. What you've done by age 29 blows my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you got your master's degree and I got to watch you use biblical principles to guide you to something pretty big in your life. Yes. I bought a house last year and um, that was a big, it was a big deal. I mean, I went through from, I mean, we talked about this in February till September in the process of trying to find a house and buy it. But um what Brianna said, I mean, my parents taught me and my sister how to handle our finances, and they would always tell us about um, interest rates. They're like, why would you pay any interest rate? You know, you don't, just don't spend money you don't have, and you won't have to pay the bank right. double what the money is that you would have been spending. So, um, and, you know, in the book of Proverbs, talking about the Old Testament, it says that the borrower becomes the servant to the lender. And so I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so um, I just didn't spend money I didn't have. And I lived within my means, and I saved, and I tithed, and, you know, the Bible in the New Testament says that um, it's better to give than to receive, and so I, I've loved giving, and uh, I sponsor kids in Kenya, and um, my savings just grew until I was like, cool, I can buy a house now, and I did that last year. <laughs> yeah, and you even use biblical principles to find the right house. Yes, yes. I was in escrow before COVID hit last year. I was in escrow for this property that I thought... I wanted and uh, and that didn't end up working out and so I spent like six months praying and talking to people about what I wanted and God ended up leading me to a house that was actually the complete opposite of the first house I was an escrow in but it's a, it's perfect for us it's beautiful and um, we love it so it's me and my sister bought it together so yeah yeah and it's on a half acre of land so for all of you who are in Southern California you're gasping all of you in Ohio are like 
what big deal? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but, but that is what's so cool. And I've watched you gone through this process, mm-hmm. but your go-to has been scripture. What does the Bible say? And, you know, that whole idea of that verse, the borrower is the slave or the mm-hmm. lender. You've never been enslaved that way, not even to student loan, right. and you have your master's right. degree. Yeah. And uh, I know you don't want to brag, but how many children do you sponsor? Oh, I sponsor three kids. Yeah. <laughs> Which, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And see, I think that's what I'm telling you is it gives you joy and it frees your life. And, and it molds your character. Uh, and the Bible's incredible about that. Uh, the Bible talks about how to handle your money. The Bible will teach you how to have healthy relationships. The Bible will teach you how to handle conflict. The Bible will teach you how to find the right person to marry. I'm not kidding about that. The Bible will teach you how to find the right person to marry. Uh, the Bible will teach you how to have a great marriage. The Bible will teach you how to have an amazing sex life. <laughs> Okay, uh, that goes on and on and on. The Bible's very specific about that. Uh, how to overcome anxiety, how to overcome depression. The Bible will teach you how to conduct your business. The Bible will teach you how to handle change. So many people struggle with that. The Bible will walk you through that. The it's an incre- incredible thing. I just talked to a, a group of Korean pastors on what the Bible says on how to handle change. Uh, the Bible will teach you how to deal with a very difficult boss. Right, Laura? <laughs> I meant me, grace not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Or a difficult employee. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Um, The Bible, are you ready for this? Will teach you how to plant your crops. Uh, There's an area of Oregon uh, that a group of Christians moved to some years ago, and they just decided they wanted to be farmers. Uh, And you guys got to catch this. So they just got out the Bible and read what the Bible said about agriculture and how to plant farms. Their farms have always been profitable, always had higher yields. And now people come to them to get seminars on how to grow crops and how their only place to study was the Bible. Now, I'm not against studying other agricultural too, but the Bible is that specific in teaching you how to do life, by the way, and how they conducted their business from all the profit that came in. Uh, And so it will teach you how to enjoy life to the fullest and more. See, I just started listing off all the things I could think of that the Bible teaches us. And that I, I, when people ask, what do I do? I just go to scripture. Uh, Whenever I get with people, I just say, let's find what the Bible says. Because the Bible, both old and new, the entire Bible was inspired by God to make your life incredible. And you need to know it's not a book written by men. It was provided by God, protected by God. So I don't want you to listen to anybody. Anybody who would ever tell you not to take what the Bible says to heart, uh, to say anybody says, don't go by what the Old Testament says. And you know what? I, I even read somewhere recently, it was written, that when graduation time comes, don't do what many, many, many parents do. Don't give your kids a plaque that says, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13 is for them because it's not, because it's Old Testament. But that isn't true. It's, it's, it's promise. Yeah. And we've inherited the promises. I'm going to show you that more later. We are heirs of Abraham. And all the promises apply to us. Paul said that those instructions are ours. So in Jeremiah 29, 11, I hope you're looking at your screen right now. Look at this promise that God gives you. It is for you. It's powerful. And you and I need it in a time like this. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, 
and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Let me just be as clear as I can. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And the Lord says, I know what plans I have for you. Before you were ever born, those plans were written down. They were written, the Bible even says, in a book. Your name on it, your plan on it, what God wanted you to experience. And he said, there are good things in this plan. That's the promise of God. And then God said, and here's what I want to promise you. If you call out to me and sincerely call to me, I will answer you. I will answer you. And, and I will listen to you. And I'll be there with you. You guys, that promise is for you. And don't let anybody take it away from you. It's real, it's true, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. God guided Jeremiah to write it. He breathed that promise into life for you. And you and I are to know that. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. Peter Kreeft, who's a, a philosopher, an incredible philosopher, uh, writing on this said this, Peter Kreeft of Boston University, he said that means that people are either searching for God and have found him, or they're searching for God and will find him. Or they're not searching at all. And I want you to know something that's true. Right now, if you're searching for God, he's not going to hide. He's not going to be far. You're going to find him. Or right now, if you're not searching for God, I'm going to ask you, what would happen if you started? What would happen if you said, I'm going to do it? By the way, another famous philosopher, Blaise Pascal, took this very same passage and called out for people to come and put themselves in the hands of God, throw themselves into the faith and see if God's there. In other words, see if he can be found. And, and Blaise Pascal said, you'll find him. You'll find him. Uh, it, there's, it's a thing called Pascal's Wager, if you ever want to read. It's pretty cool. But the bottom line is, as you start looking for God, God's not far away. And he's with you when the most heartbreaking times come. That same book that said, don't give this passage to graduates, also said, don't comfort parents who have lost their child with the words of David that are found in 2 Samuel. He said, it's not for them. And I want to tell you how wrong he is. Those are some of the most comforting words you could ever have. Um... I was recently watching a movie and, and they brought out the fact that, you know what? We have a word for a person who's lost a spouse. They're a widow or a widower. And uh, we have a word for a child who's lost their parents. Sometimes we use the word orphan. But there's no word for a parent who's lost a child because it's the unimaginable. Nothing hurts worse than that. And God's word is the place to go that brings hope and tells them by giving them light on a dark, dark situation. David was grieving. David, the man God would put his hand up on to write. He was grieving because his child was close to death. He prayed and prayed and prayed for God to spare his child. And God didn't because sometimes God doesn't. And then David got up and he began to eat. He began to go about his day and his servants looked at him and said, how can you do that? Your child was sick and has died. How can you now just go on? And David talking about it said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. 
For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died, so why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him. But he, he will not return to me. That verse that's found in the Old Testament, I have sat with parents time and time again. I think it's the hardest thing I've ever, I, get, I have to do as a pastor, and I want to say I get to do. Because when someone invites me or any of our other pastors in to their time of hurt and pain and grief, for any relative, for any friend, but especially for a child, I bring out these words and say, here's what David said. I will go to him. David knew beyond a shadow of a doubt his child was in heaven. David knew one day he would go to be in heaven. He said, you know, one day I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is real life. This is what the Bible's all about. I don't know what I'd do if I sat with a couple or sat with a single mom or a single dad who lost a child and had to throw out opinion. Instead, it's words of faith and words of life that are real, that are true. I think there's somebody watching right now you needed those words. You've lost something very, very precious. Maybe it is a child. Maybe it's a hope, a dream, a marriage. Maybe it's your sense of self-worth. Maybe you've lost hope. But you know what? I want to tell you God is the giver of hope. That passage in Romans, Paul said, when you go back to the instructions of the Old Testament, they give you instruction and perseverance and hope. And so I'm telling you, the God who loved you so much, he gave you the Bible, is the same God who loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for you and for me so one day we could go and be with him. David said, I'm going to go and be with God. He said, my child will be there. I have two children there waiting for us and other relatives. And when I was the next-gen pastor, I lost many people who are a part of our ministry that I get to go see. And uh, I'm not afraid to die because I know one day I'm going to open my eyes and be not only with Jesus but with all of them. What about you? Do you know that? Because God's word tells you that. It assures you of that. Do you know it to be true? And if you don't, don't forget what Jeremiah said, that if you seek him, you'll find him. And the first thing you might want to do is call out to him. And I'm going to lead a prayer right now. And if you're ready to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to call out to this God who loved you so much, he gave you a Bible, his word, and he gave his son for you so that you might be his child. So right now, do you need to pray a prayer where you call out to God? Maybe it's the very first time you pray it. Maybe it's to come back to him. Do you need to pray this prayer? And if you do, let's pray it together. Let's really do it together. Father, I pray right now for anybody who needs to open their heart to you and commit their life to you. You gave us the word of God, which is the word of life. You gave us words to create life in us. 
and allow us, Lord, to know how to live in this life and what to do in this life and how to move forward in this life. And right now, I pray for anybody who needs to open their heart to you so you can fill them with love, life, and joy. But most of all, so they can become yours, really become your child, and start to live out the plan you have for them. Right now, if that's you and you're ready to pray this prayer with me, let's do it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I'll pray, I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me down or holding me back. And I pray, oh Lord, you'd take away the pain take away the fear God give me hope and give me your love I commit my life to you and I want to be yours in Jesus name amen and amen if you prayed that prayer amen if you prayed that prayer and I am so excited for you and this Bible actually says if you prayed that prayer in a minute that the angels of heaven are rejoicing right now because you matter that much to God every angel knows your name and, and God himself is looking down calling you his child but I'm going to ask you to do this if you prayed that prayer and you meant it please let us know actually as you let us know something happens something goes deeper so if you're ready to pray this prayer and let us know, then what I want you to do is, is go to crossroadschurch.family. So it's go to the internet and go to crossroadschurch, one word, dot family, and put, I said yes to Jesus. Then we're going to get back to you. We need to know your name. Why? because you matter to us. Uh, and we want to connect with you. And we want to give you a book, a free, free book that will help you know how to discover that plan that God has for your life. So it's our free gift to you. We want for you and we want to connect with you. And we genuinely want to be family with you. So if you said yes to the Lord, go to crossroadschurch.family and let us know. But don't forget, God has a plan for your life. You matter to him so much, he wrote it out long ago. And may this week be a week you discover the next step in your plan with him as he pours his love upon you, as he empowers you by the spirit, and as he fills you with joy. God bless you. and We'll see you soon.